Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. Michael, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm still exhausted. <laughs> Just a few weeks <laughs> away from a very exciting honeymoon. So that's the good part about making it through wedding and the family and the friends and the crazy is you get to do for most for a lot of people we're going to iceland and amsterdam and ireland and amazing very much looking forward to it first of all i'm gonna need you to take pictures yes and i need you to post them on our social media so that (laughs) i can live vicariously even if you have to take them afterwards and upload them but please take pictures they don't even have to be of you but just pictures surrounding. Okay. Bonus points if, if it's of you. That's, that's I think, a fair request. I can do that. And it'll keep me honest to making sure, like, I like about both of us that we very much lean into our travel experiences. When yeah. we are at a place doing a thing, we are doing the thing. That's where our attention is. And it's important to also get a couple of, like, captures of that so it stays fresh in your mind. So I will I do, do think- my best speed. I am glad that you guys, like, stay in the moment. But yes, please take us a couple of pictures. I, I will, I promise. And we'll try to make sure that all of our other nosy bees get to play along too. It has been such a crazy month for me. My daughter turned 17. No, no, she uh, is not. Yes. <laughs> so I got Oh, how are you feeling about that, Mama? Old. <laughs> old, old, old. If I don't feel old, trust me that she reminds me that I am old and not cool. <laughs> And everything... That's her job, though. ...about me is dumb. So throwing her a Mamma Mia birthday party. Uh, I love that, first of all, she's into Mamma Mia. That's, like... So it's the whole thing, like, Dancing Queens. So it's, like, young and sweet, only 17. And so it's, like, Mamma Mia. I got a lot of decor for it. She's going to be very excited. I ordered her a super nice cake. Anybody listening that's local... The craft bakery, they just have these amazing cakes. So ordered a cake from there. So this story, ever since we announced that we were doing a true crime podcast. Oh, your friend, right? My sister-in-law. Oh, yeah. So Chris's older sister, Cherie, she has been begging, begging to cover the Jody Arias story. Ooh, and well, so thank I, you, Cherie. Yeah, so I say Jody Arias, but this is really the murder of Travis Alexander. And so he does get lost in the mix of all of it because she's such kind of this like infamous character that his name gets lost. It falls in line with the stories that we do from like the 90s and the 2000s it's it's kind of zany yeah <laughs> like it's not funny i don't mean to laugh at it but like also you're right it fits the theme perfectly just some crazy shit went down in the 90s carla this story has everything too it's got mormons <laughs> yes it's got love sex ninjas it's it has everything also it's a solved case because you know i love solved cases that's right Literally almost 10 years to the day 
the media was almost as obsessed with Jody as she was with the media. In the midst of all the media coverage, we really do lose sight of the victim, Travis Alexander, and Jody like becoming this resonating memory. We will spend some time talking about who Travis was to his family, to his friends, about his background. And if you've never heard of this case, that is okay because we are going to break it all down from you. And I guarantee if you heard of this case, we're going to tell you something that you didn't know. It just happens every single time. Are you ready? I am so ready for this case. I mean, ninjas. Like, who couldn't be ready for I that? Just, when you told me about that, <laughs> I, <laughs> there are some things that you can't make up. Like, real life is always stranger. So, I mean, or can you make it up? <laughs> I mean, that, that is well, the question. <laughs> that is the question. All right, let's dive in. So let me tell you about Travis Alexander. So he was born July 28th, 1977 in Riverside, California. Unfortunately, Travis really did just have a horrible, horrible childhood. His parents were horrible to him and his two sisters. He also had a brother. They were addicted to meth. They would beat the children on the regular. He would describe growing up starving, surrounded by cockroaches. At one point, they ended up living in this really tiny, and when I say like camper trip, it's like a camper shell. So it's not even like a full size. It really just has like a bunk in there and, and so you, how many siblings again there's four kids Dear God. and his mom all living in this so i mean they were practically you know one white right on top of another you've got no privacy <clears throat> they're starving like there's no food they talked about easily that they would eat food that was out of you can google travis alexander's blog it's still out there today but he would talk about how they were starving he had to have stunk really bad went to school Kids were probably horrible to him. I didn't grow up very wealthy. I probably grew up very modestly, but I went to school and one of the kids I went to school with, I felt so bad because he smelled horrible. Like he didn't, his clothes did not smell clean. He smelled like dogs. He smelled like animals. He was a very nice kid though, but he was like, he was a rough and tumbly boy too. But I always, whenever I hear about kids who lived in these circumstances, I always go back and think about that guy and like wonder what happened to him and what kind of life that he was living. Yeah. As children, we didn't realize that if somebody is doesn't smell good or their clothes are not clean, they're constantly starving or they're eating everything in sight. It's probably because they're not being taken care of or their home life just isn't as good as yours. So That's right. while I might have grown up modest or as some people might describe as poor, my clothes were always clean. We always had food in our belly. Like we didn't have any of those issues, but I do think about some of the kids that I went to school with. And so that's definitely what Travis describes his upbringing. At some point, his siblings, what they were taken out of the custody of his parents and they went to live with their grandparents. And he, So not put into the system at least. Yeah, the grandparents ended up taking care of him and actually his whole life. He lived with his grandparents until his grandmother was there all the way to the end and that this would be such a much better life and he talked about such admiration that he had for his grandparents especially his grandfather what good people they were in his life to his siblings i just even what you've told me so far told us so far i need that for him yeah. i need him to have some glimmers of light i'm glad he found that in them yeah and so i think his grandparents are the ones that introduced him to the mormon church his siblings would describe travis as their rock he was the oldest sibling 
And he did have a very big group of friends. You can tell that they were all very close. There was a lot of like good times that they had. He had a very active social life. Travis worked for an MLL company called Prepaid Legal Services. So if you don't know what an MLM is, it's a multi-level marketing company. So sometimes it's referred to as like a pyramid scheme, but these types of company make a majority of their business from bringing in partners who pay and then have them bring in new clients. So other MLMs that are really famous, LuLaRoe is a big one that Tupperware from back in the day, Avon, Mary Mary Kay. Yeah. So those are probably some really familiar MLMs. I don't know if it's the Mormon church or if it's just the Mormons in Utah. They are all in and out of MLMs. So if you look and research any MLM, MLM, (laughs) you're going to find either Utah or the Mormon church involved with their higher executives. But... There is this partnership. Kind of communal based things that sort of makes sense to me. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting tidbit. Go ahead. I'll say too, like the other thing about MLMs and I, you know, over the years, especially being a young mom and stuff, I've done different things or joined different yeah, groups. Yeah, fine. My sisters have like, yeah. no shame in that game. No. Just they're interesting systems. No, yeah, all. not at all. Um, and there are people I know who can, who are very successful. Yes. Michael and I joke all the time that this is our MLM. So like... Go tell two of of your friends and then they'll tell two more of their friends. (laughs) Um, It doesn't... And you don't even have to pay to join us. That's right. So, but I will say that a lot of MLM companies, they do create this group of fitting in, this group of friends, this social life. This family, this community sort of thing. Right, this community. They do big conventions at the work. Yep. Travis is working for them, and he is a very successful salesperson and motivational speaker, and he's pretty high up in the company and is definitely affiliated with a lot of their executives. So they would have conventions throughout the year, and in 2006, they were having a convention in Las Vegas. This is where Travis and Jody Arias would meet. So Jody is about four years younger than him. I really don't dig a lot about her back history other than to say that she lived a pretty relatively normal life she did get into some trouble when in her younger years i think they ended up finding she was growing a pot plant in middle school i mean relatively though right but you remember at this point it's like the late 90s like that's a big no-no yeah Yeah. this is your brain on drugs yeah this is a big no-no but really for the most part other than that she was fine she led for quote unquote a normal childhood. Now she does go and say <clears throat> that her parents were horrible to her and her parents are like, we were not horrible to her. We don't know why at some point she stopped liking us, loving us, but at some point like we fell out of dissension with her. She still got along with her siblings, but for whatever reason we became the pinpoint of like all of her anger. And I laugh about it because I was like, that's the feat of any parent of a teenage girl. <laughs> Is to be Any the thing. I went through that like 100% from like 14 to probably even 21, 22 years old. I just thought my parents were the worst and they knew nothing and they were feeding me all this garbage. And now in my 30s, I'm like, you were right about everything. I'm right. so sorry. Yes. <laughs> like, it's so true. So that's really kind of Jody's background. Yeah. Jody had been looking to change her career up and she was looking to do something different. So that's how she gets involved with this prepaid legal company as a salesperson. 
She was living in California and Travis lived in Arizona and they meet up in Vegas and he has a ticket to an exclusive executive dinner. Everyone else is there with their wife and and Travis brings Jody. And this kind of kicks off not only their long distance love affair, it's really like hot, hot or cold, cold. So it's on and off. But a few months after meeting, Jody decides hey, I want to be a Mormon too. And she enlists Travis to help her. And Travis, of course, he's very excited for it. He's still a member of the Mormon church. And there are pictures of him with her when she was baptized. Do we know any of the background of the hot cold? Like, was there any talks about like what some of that? I think they were just emotional. And so it does make sense for what we know of her later. Yeah. And you think so at this time, he's 30 She's 26, so she's still relatively young. Yeah. I think they have a a pretty exciting, and I say like this like quote unquote sex life. I think part of like scratching the surface is that Travis wants to be married. He wants children. He wants that good life. But Jody doesn't fit that description in his mind of the person who he wants to marry. So interesting. Yeah. So he wants white picket fence. And right. she's more she's, the mistress on the other side of the way. Right. And it's funny because, like, she's not. Like, they're they, right. they're dating and that kind of stuff. That's he how just, he views her, though. Yeah, he, that's exactly it. That's how he views her. If I were a guessing person, and I've been in some relationships like this, so I, could, I think I can accurately say is that Jody feels like she can change his mind. She can show him that she can be this perfect little yeah. woman, and she starts acting like the wife – but she's not. She's still like the side piece, but not side piece. Yeah. Um, and funny, in my mind, I kept thinking like he was having an affair with her because that's to me how he was treating her. It's um, almost what it sounds like. Yeah. Like, even how you were describing it. Like she's the side piece, but she's not. She's the main piece. So. Yeah. And there's... And if you look at their relationship, if you if you Google pictures, and we'll share pictures on our social media of them... But they look, they go on, they're on vacation with each other. They're in videos with each other. They look to be a normal couple for all intents and purposes. It's not like he's hiding her away necessarily. They seem to be having a good time. I just think when it comes down to it, he's enjoying all the things that that relationship brings, but also probably because they're long distance, he doesn't have to actually commit to it. And then for her, she wants him to commit to it, but she can kind of use the fact that they're in this long distance to maybe excuse away the fact that he isn't proposing. He's not getting married to her. Right. Okay. If I were a guessing person. (laughs) You've thought about this a little bit, Carl. I have. I really have. The thing about Travis, he wants to be this good Mormon with traditional values, and he did have this really rough upbringing. So it's not a far stretch to say that, like, he wants this normal, like, white picking fence. He wants a wife. He wants to have children. He wants the life that he didn't have growing up. I can completely see that. I think I feel a little bit bad for him because the reality is that he likes this sex with Jody. He likes this exciting relationship that she probably brings. She's probably a little spicier than some of the other women he's dated before. And I think he is like giving himself a hard time about it. And it's like, you could have both of it. Like you don't really have to choose. The other thing is like, this is how it goes, right? Premarital sex, you already had it. 
It's not like yeah, you you, you don't get to undo. You it. don't get to undo it. So you've already had it. So you either need to like marry her, come to peace with it, like <laughs> whatever you do with it, or like be okay with it. There is a certain piece of this that I really relate to, though. So I I don't feel like I grew up crazy, crazy hyper religious, and there was a very conservative religious skew to my upbringing. Like my my great grandfather was a minister, an uncle of mine was a minister, all of my aunts uncles were somehow involved in the church. And especially, you know, a slightly different situation, but as I started coming to terms with, with being a gay man and what that meant for my whole life, there was like this underlying guilt that was very much driven by this narrative by which I'd been taught, right? Older, wiser me knows that you can successfully marry your personal life and your belief and, you know, you can make those things work in very different ways. Younger me didn't know how to do that. So I, I kind of, I... I get why he's feeling that way. It must have been so conflicting. You have this vision of what you're supposed to be, what you, air quotes, ought to be. And then there's how the very, very human you actually feels in the situation. Yeah. And I mean, I say all of that as like a 40-year-old woman who is like fully grown and comfortable with herself, comfortable with her religion, comfortable with her decisions. And so, you know, I know that like I also grew up with a good family who might have had religious thoughts on whether or not you should be having premarital sex but where carla somewhere figured out her own decisions in there so i i think that's the only part about to me that just feels a little sad and i think that small piece of it i feel a little bit sad for jody too because she doesn't have enough self-confidence i think to probably demand what she's looking for in that relationship either neither of them do right Right. and that's that's the sad part is like you do get a little bit older and wiser and you're able to do that but at that point you don't I didn't even know how to articulate it back then. I didn't know what I needed, how to, much less how to ask for it. Yeah. Right? So I, I completely, even though like I know that there are people, I mean, I think about myself when I was 26 years old or 27 years old, I had already had two children. I was already married. Like that's right. I had self-confidence of someone who had already gone through all of this life. Had I yeah, you had never to. experienced any of that <laughs> stuff, yeah. I would be a totally different person. So you know, whatever path you're on, actually, you know what? If you're in your 20s and you need love advice, you need to immediately DM Michael and I and let us tell you how you should be living your life. So just whether that is for us to chastise you or give you all the confidence that you need will depend on what you're about to tell us. Is that our new, that's our next side hustle? Yeah. Perfect, perfect. That's our next podcast is the love advice. Actually, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> All right, continue. So their on and off again relationship would really hit the pause button on June 29th, 2007. But like most great relationships, they would continue to have sex for more than another few weeks. And here's what's weird. So this whole time, remember, Jody's living in California and he's in Arizona. So when they break up, Jody's like, you know what? This would be a great time to move to Arizona. And again, I feel like, remember I said, like she feels probably there in California, she's making excuses for this relationship because they're doing this long distance thing. So in true red flag material, she's like, let me hightail it to Arizona. <laughs> My blood pressure is rising move. just hearing that. <laughs> yeah. So she hightails it to Arizona where Travis is living again after they broke up. And his friends, like this oh. is red flag. I call this red flag on the play. So his friends recall, like, they had a bad feeling about Jody. They said that she knew the garage code. She would come in unannounced. 
So there is a story that she would like crawl through the doggy door. I don't believe that and sleep in the floor. One is the main reason I don't believe that piece is because her, so in case you hear this anywhere else, her and Travis were continuing a sexual relationship. And so I feel like that was a story or an excuse that Travis made for the fact that he probably let Jody come in. Now, was Jody showing up unannounced and coming in and probably, you know, surprising Travis? I believe that 100%. There are some stories that his tires ended up being slashed. 100% believe that was Jody. Um, Carrie Underwood write a song about yeah. that or something like that. That ain't nothing. That ain't, yeah. I mean, that is some like serious, like, don't do that. And it's not like, yeah. Yeah. So they said also that he started seeing another woman and that. Travis's friends would recount that Jody would try scaring her by knocking on the window and the door and then running away. Of course, his tires got slashed. Jody would completely deny that she had anything to do with it. So, okay, let me let me just make sure I heard that correctly. So she moves to a different state after they've broken up. And supposedly, allegedly, one of the hobbies once she's moved to this different state to be near the person she's no longer dating is to scare said person or was this the new like girlfriend the new love girlfriend interest. of right. the by knocking on their window yeah cool. and running away and slashing his tires fantastic okay. yeah his friend said that sometimes travis would be mad and other times he would quote jump into bed with her so this is coming from Brian Skolov. That feels like Gone Girl. Like, oh, it really uh, does. Like, yeah. There is something really twisted about that. Okay. His friends actually joked that, like, they were scared that she was going to burn the house down with them in. So Travis lived in this two-story, it wasn't a patio home, but it definitely looks like one of those, like, condo homes. And it was a, actually a really nice house that he had for himself. It was meticulous. He was very organized, very clean. You can imagine the upbringing he had. We had some roommates, some guys that lived in there. But they said Jody's crazy. My friends and I, we have a saying about like this level of obsession. Remember <laughs> that old show, Nip Tuck? Yes. <laughs> there is a scene there where this crazy old lady who was obsessed, she would drug and take people back to her house and literally like stuff them like Build-A-Bear. And, and she would take their eyes and make buttons, like put buttons for their eyes. We always say like when someone's really crazy, we're like, oh, that person's going to give us button for eyes. That is Jody. She was going to give Travis buttons for eyes or anybody in Travis's life. And it's, it's scary because looking back now like they had something to be fearful about yeah but you know they never filed anything like he should have been filing police well, reports you just tell yourself that you're being ridiculous at that yeah. point right? that no one would actually ever do that you're being paranoid you talk yourself out of it living in an arizona for about eight months after she has scared travis and his friends to death she decides that she's going to move back to California. Oh, dear God. Yeah. So Travis's friends, of course, are elated. They're like, Jody is, they're like, ding dong, the witch is gone. Yeah. So she's gone. They felt like they were finally getting some peace back. But again, little did they know that Travis and Jody were still continuing their relationship. They were calling, texting each other. His brother is actually quoted saying that Jody was his brother's kryptonite. Like, she, he just couldn't leave the crazy alone. And I have seen men like this where they are just not done with the crazy. Like something about that is so 
entrancing that they just have to go back over and over and over again. And clearly, like, Travis, he had the bug. I don't think it's so different, though, than, like, what we talked about earlier with this idea that you can fix the guy. I think guys are just as guilty of it. Like, we think that we can wait it out, that there's something that we can do a little bit differently to make it all okay. Like, if I'm in his shoes, that's what I'm thinking, too. Like, this is fine. I just need to to prove to her you can trust me it's fine babe sometime in may of 2008 there are copies of their texts between each other and you can tell like they're having a fight but no one to this day really understands like what they were fighting about so travis tells jody that she's the lowest of low and a sociopath but it's not clear what happened so if i had to guess jody is either threatening to tell someone about their very spicy sex life or did tell someone just given the fact that Travis is so triggered by their sex life that I'm guessing that it had something to do with that. And the only reason he would even have an issue beyond his personal belief, right, is like your reputation in whatever community you're trying to keep this image of you alive in, right? Right. So you you try to protect that at all costs. It's reasonable to me. Yeah, I that's right. And her response was like, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. And so like, that's what made me but think. But why would you share it? Like, I get where he's coming from too. Like, you know, you know that my belief system, my faith right. is a big part of who I am and that what we're doing doesn't align with that. Like, what are you doing talking about this? So May 28th, 2008, Jody's living with her grandparents in California and they end up reporting that their .25 caliber gun of theirs is stolen and they do notify the police and the police come and they file a report. So that takes us to then early June. In June, Travis was talking and interested with a new woman named Mimi. He was going to take her with him to his work retreat in Cancun. His friends were starting to get concerned because he hadn't shown up in Cancun. And then he had missed a really important conference call that he was supposed to be leading. And actually one of his friends calls him and jokes with him and says, dude, unless you are dead, like where in the hell are you? Why are you not answering your phone and what's going on with you? Well, just a few days later, a group of his friends who are now at this point, this is June 9th, 2008. So his friends are concerned. And that's why I said, like, he had this big group of friends. So there's four of them that are going to his house to be like, what is going on with you? Which Are is, you okay? Which what we know about some of the things that she tried to claim later, I think is an important point about his character, right? If you're not the kind of person that you know regularly calls out from work like only a dependable person right. is going to have their co-workers worried right if they call out of work it, it, like this had to be out of character for him there had to be something that rings alarm bells which i think just gives us a glimpse into who he was and it doesn't align necessarily with the story that she tries to tell about him later i think too it's important to remember like this is 2008 which while we had cell phones it's very different than 2023 So even though, like, for example, if one of us stopped texting in our group chat, we would be like, hello, what's going on? Especially if we were expecting you. Yeah. So even even you who can go quiet, we'd be like, hello, what's going on? Or whatever. We probably would have come over day two. 100%. That's right. But this isn't the world of group text messages. You still got charged for text. You still only, you you had a limit. For receiving Yeah. So you had (laughs) limits back then. That's right. On the amount of text messages. So even though... We were communicating in this mobile network. It still is not to the level. So I think that's why 
his friends had let it go a few days before they were like, okay, we're going to your house. Are you okay? Yeah. They get to the house and his roommate, Zach, is there. And Zach's like, oh, I thought he already left to go to Cancun. They're like, no, he had not gone. So at this point, they become very worried about him. So they start moving to towards one of or towards his bedroom. So one of the girls that are with them does say that the house does not smell good. And immediately they are becoming alarmed. So one of the men with them went into the bedroom and along the wall, before you hit the connecting bathroom, there is a bloody handprint. And so as soon as they cross over into the bathroom, it is a crime scene for sure. There is blood everywhere. But most importantly, they can see the slumped body of Travis in the bathroom, his neck is cut open, and there are a lot of stab wounds. In fact, at this point, he had been shot, but they couldn't even tell that because he had been brutally murdered. <sighs> Immediately, they are calling 911, and the police begin to investigate the scene. Travis lived, like I said earlier, this really nice house, has this huge walk-in closet. He's extremely organized and clean. The detectives were able to easily go through the house and collect evidence and see things that are out of place. The one thing that always got to me about this story was he had roommates and one of them was there and it was like, dude, did you not smell that there was a dead body in the house for at this point when they, the police get there, they feel like he's been dead for about four days. It's like, how did you not smell that? And the guys, the roommate is like, we're a bunch of dirty dudes like i didn't think anything even though yeah, the apartment probably smells rank more often than it yeah. doesn't you know so you know again even though Ugh. travis was really clean and that that's a part of it that would have made me pay attention but i know like there's a lot of guys that would not have paid attention to the fact like oh he's really clean he shouldn't have some weird smell coming from his room because he's meticulous and it's not to say that it wouldn't have eventually like done it like within just a couple of days though in the same circumstance i'm not sure that that's what would dawn on me either especially like having been some of my college friends dear god (laughs) it smelled like dead bodies carla and i promise everything was fine One of the things that they collect right away is they find a very expensive camera in the washing machine that belonged to Travis. While the camera, of course, is messed up, the SD card in the camera was still good. The actual murder, very brutal, like most stabbings. Of course, there's blood everywhere. And they do see that distinct handprint. And they can, I mean, it is very distinct. There's some pictures of it online. Um, So they'll be able to get identifying It looks like somebody put their hand like in a bloody puddle and just plopped it right on the wall carla stupid criminals we need to do an episode they also find hair on the scene too they are really collecting some good amount of evidence here they begin working the case immediately and within hours of travis being discovered jody is calling the police department and checking in on the investigation and his friends immediately are like no that is red flag jody she probably did this. You guys need to check into her. She's a stalker. <laughs> she's vindictive. And Jody does. She goes to the top of the list and she's calling the investigators. She's already checking in. She goes to the top of their list. I just love that they called her out. Like, They're no, like, no, no. Officers, yeah. we know who it is. She denies being in Arizona at the time of the death, but she does agree to be fingerprinted because she's coming in town for his memorial service. They do get her fingerprinted. Once the contents of the SD card are recovered, they find naked pictures of, lo and behold, Jody and Travis. And the camera 
is time and date stamp. I can remember like video cameras back in at this time frame and you could turn on a setting and it would put the timestamp. Same thing with a camera and it would put the the date and timestamp and so when in you would like print it yeah so when you printed the picture boom I know nobody or it might print, be on the back too nobody prints pictures no more but I back know. then but it would be right there. It was that type of a setting. And they see Jody. It almost reminds me of like Alec Murdoch that the damn phone got him. But they see pictures, naked pictures of Jody in explicit positions. They've and, been clearly like trading yep. pictures back and well, forth. Well, not, no, it was, they were taking him live like in oh. the moment. Because oh. there's, yeah. Okay. And so she's laying on his bed and then he's laying on the bed and they're they're taking pictures of one another okay um and very boudoir yeah very boudoir and then they must you know then there's a little bit of time maybe like mm, 45 minutes yeah. that passes and there's some pictures of travis in the shower naked trying to be sexy of the water falling over him you know like justin timberlake um pictures and then the next picture is on the cameras on the floor and it's like a picture taking it upward and you can see a woman's legs and in the background you can see his body slumped over and then the next picture is of his body slumped over in the shower and his neck had been cut you go just minutes later and so the police are like well wait a second you said you weren't in arizona we can see that there are naked pictures of you 45 minutes there are pictures of him in the shower now there are no pictures of her in the shower but they very clearly can tell that it's the same leg they just seen up in the air and was she trying to claim that she hadn't seen him since she left arizona yes. so like is that a remind me is that like a couple months now in yes. time okay so mm -hmm. she's trying to say i haven't seen him for a couple months yeah i think yeah it's like right at two months because she had left in may okay i mean it really is kind of alex murdoch right yeah like the camera's not going to lie. Right, because now all of a sudden, you're, <laughs> then you're there. And so they can That's see right. these legs, which clearly look like Jodi area. they just seen her legs. Looks like Jodi's legs. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there are pictures of his body, and he's clearly deceased at this moment in time. And also, whoever had done this had clearly was hoping to, they put the camera in the washing machine. They were looking to try to destroy evidence. Thinking that the, and I think they had deleted the pictures too, but of course an SD card, it's not deleted. So That's right. They were able to retrieve it back. They have her almost like dead to rights. This is as close as, like we talk about like circumstantial evidence. This is, they literally have photos of you. Yeah. At, at the murder scene. Right. You are going to have a really, really hard time figuring your way out of this yeah because what what is the alternate explanation at that point like that you found him in the bathroom murdered and you decided to get naked question mark like there there is no good explanation right there is no getting out of this other than you're guilty and of course the blood print comes back the blood is both jody and travis's and the handprint is hers so now you have her by the handprint. So within one month of Travis passing, which to me is just very fast police work, and it's actually a week after Jody's 28th birthday, so July 15th, she's arrested at her grandparents' house. And this becomes, I don't even think I told you this part earlier, Michael, this becomes the most convoluted 
police interrogation that I have ever watched in my life. And I, I recommend everyone go YouTube it because it is absolutely insane. So she does, they're showing her like picture evidence. Well, first they're asking her what happened. She doubles down. I wasn't in Arizona. That wasn't me. Then they show her the pictures. No, that's not me. Those could be forged. And the way she's saying it, it's almost this like flirty kind of combative the way that she's talking Couldn't to them. Couldn't it be anyone in those pictures, yeah, officer? that's not really me. Are I you mean, sure it's me? That can be forged. What would it take to convince you that it's not me? Yes. So her demeanor is almost like smart ass and then like trying to flirt away. So she actually, they end up sending <sighs> a female officer in. She completely shuts down and she will only cooperate with the male officer because she's trying to use her... Like she's trying to use anything she can yeah, at this point like, to to do it. So they go to take her mugshot, and she I cannot even. Oh no, this. the mugshot was disturbing. Oh, she's like, look, I know this is going to just make me sound like a really horrible person, and this is going to show how shallow I am. But can I go clean up before we take our mugshot? I didn't have a chance to get ready before I was arrested, and the police officers are like, absolutely <laughs> no. not, absolutely not. <laughs> And so she's like smiling. Oh, it's kind of my favorite. In her mugshot. It's this really kind of coy, like coquette kind of smile to him. Like, what are you doing? It's so confusing and disturbed. She literally says, this is going to show how shallow I am. <laughs> yes, it is. I Okay, it gets worse than that. The officers, after they take her mugshot, the officers step out of the room and you can see her. She starts to do headstands. <sighs> Then she starts singing, Oh, Holy Night. She even starts talking to herself where she's saying things like brat. And then she's saying, Oh, I bet you're not mad at me now. Or, I bet you're mad at me now or something like that. And a lot of people are saying like, Oh, she's talking to herself. I think she's talking to Travis. Like in her mind, I think she's calling Travis a brat and like saying like ugly things to him. She is unhinged. <laughs> it's so terrifying too. It's, fucking weird it's really weird her story this whole time right the pictures are not her the bloody handprint is not her i haven't seen him in months we don't know where that came from that's right she was not in california but she was traveling from california to utah yeah not stopping in arizona to visit this new love interest who's actually an old love interest of hers so this is a guy that she had dated for years and what's crazy is This relationship that she had with that guy, from all accounts, everyone says was very successful and a very healthy relationship. He had a son. They talked about how good she was with the son. So I don't know why this situation didn't work out, but that's really a shame because it seemed to be a good relationship. She was on a good track. Before she even met Travis. And so somehow they ended up splitting up. She met Travis and then she was getting back together. It feels like she was too obsessed with this. That's it. And we've like talked about that in some of these other like weird love driven crimes that happen. Like sometimes that toxicity, like you just become mutually toxic to each Mm -hmm. other. This was a mutually toxic situation. You were never going to be able to give each other what you want, but it doesn't mean you want it less. You know, Ooh. like it just like truth bombs it from just, Michael I'm tonight. I'm just saying though, it's like it's it almost makes you want it more yeah. because you know you're not supposed to have it. But that just that does suck knowing that. Like you, you could have had a very different and much happier ending 
if you would have just picked the right person again <laughs> message michael and i we will help we you got pick, you we, we will got help you. you pick the right person <laughs> so she spends one night in jail and jody's story begins to change it's unreal so her story is now yes i did stop by and see travis i got there around 3 a.m we had sex we took pictures and while he was posing in the shower two masked ninja intruders one male one female came in and held us at gunpoint and jody please don't hurt me ran into the closet and the mean woman ninja wanted to kill her but the man said no we're just here for travis and said that she could go but if she told anyone they were going to kill her and her whole family so like again like obviously this is complete bullshit but the story that she tells about these masked intruders is that she may not have said ninja, but someone along the way said ninja, and I just I just couldn't help. She might have. But she did say masked intruders. But the fact that she says that it's the woman that wanted to kill her and that the man decided not to. No, we're like, just here for him. Yeah, it's just, again, like it's part of her ploy. It's like part of that why she probably doesn't have any healthy female relationships it's why she like feels like she can manipulate these men um it's just interesting that that's how even her lies in her mind benefited it was just a crazy story of course no one's believing her new version of facts there honestly she should have just stuck with the story i didn't i didn't go we have a new headline carla you and me more than ninjas <laughs> back when this happened. I just can't even, I just, I don't even know how I could have said that with a straight face. <laughs> like, officer, <laughs> one night in jail. I have the explanation for you. It came to me. That's all it took to break her was one night in jail. And like at this point, was it, it's not even like federal prison, right? Like, no, she's, she's probably prob- just in like, she's county probably in, yeah, county lockup, you know? Oh my God. Now, of course, she's in Riverside, California. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it could be rough. Um, but so by September, she's oh. extradited back to Arizona and she's given a public defender. And she's actually given a pretty good public defender yeah. for all accounts. Jody goes on a media blitz. So she begins making interviews and statements from jail. She tells the public that no jury will convict her, that she is innocent. You know, our favorite Nancy Grace, she's eating Jody Arias for breakfast every single damn day. There is a clip, I don't know if it's like Dateline or 2020, could have been even been current affairs back then, but Jody is like putting on makeup in the jail cell in between interviews and Nancy Grace is just screaming at the TV screen (laughs) on air um, because she's like, I can't believe you've murdered your boyfriend. Um, But I don't know why. And I, I need to go back and like, look, but nothing ever said why, but she sat with this first degree murder charge for four years until they were actually able to take her to trial. A few months after she was charged, they did put the death penalty on to the charge. And really, she just sat in jail and awaited her trial. I think that's one of the longer ones that I have seen for that. I will say, so this originally started in 2008, September of 2008. By 2012, Jodi had once again changed her story. So her new story is that she had been being abused by Travis. And this was in retaliation of that abuse that she was being attacked. 
This was self-defense. And I would just say that she's had four years to get her story straight. Four years every day sitting in a jail cell to think about what she is going to say. And she, once again, came out with a good story. This is now also her third version of the facts. I just, it makes me so mad. Like when we think about the Menendez brothers and how allegations of abuse aren't even allowed in. This is why rulings like that were made by the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. They, because they don't want people, it can be so difficult to prove in some circumstances and they don't want people wielding it like a weapon. And it's, oh, it pisses me off. Like, how dare you? It, it diminutizes when it really does happen and it makes it harder for us to believe people when they're in those real situations because you're lying about shit like this. Like, yeah. How, how dare you? So on top of the changing your stories and how gross that is from like a personal virtues and values perspective, so gross. And like, that's what you're doing. Like this person that like cared about his religion and his family like, now you're dragging his name through mud and crying abuse because it suits your needs. Bleh, soapbox done. Just pisses me off, Carla. No, so we've talked a lot about the difference between sometimes, like, men and women when they go into these cases. Yeah. And I'll say, like, over the years, definitely women, like, in rape cases and other things, like, all the time our sex life gets brought up. And in this case, like, Travis's sex life was on full display for his grandmother to sit through, for his siblings to sit through. And it was really hard for them, especially given the fact that he really would have wanted this part of his life to stay private. This is absolutely against anything that he would have wanted. And there is nothing that you can do about it at that moment in the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of justice, so that he could get justice for something that happened to him all of your secrets are getting shared. And and I get, for probably like you and me, it's pro- it wouldn't be a big deal that those secrets are the ones that are displayed. Like, okay, cool, because we're very comfortable with that. But there are other secrets of mine that I would want out for yeah. full display. Well, and even those, like, yes, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with myself in that way now than I was then. I still don't want it on display. Right. The things that I choose to share at a high level are very different than someone getting to look through that, part of my life any part of my life with a freaking magnifying mm-hmm. glass and that's what happens when you're on trial for this kind of thing every detail is scrutinized to try to figure out if there's guilt or innocence involved my heart breaks for him and his family and i'm so upset at her abuse is such a tragic thing when it's real and for people to use that to to drag not just his name but the entire family through right. mud like that it's so gross In January of 2013, her court case will begin. According to the police and the prosecution, and I think really at this point, the evidence, this is what they believe happened to Travis. So on June 4th, 2008, during that road trip that Jody was taking to see this, this new old love interest, she takes a detour to see Travis. So before the trip, she dyes her blonde hair brown. And she was pretty, I mean, she... I think clearly was originally brown. Yeah. And then had, you know, box dyed. Like bleach bleach yeah, blonde. Bleach yeah. blonde. And so she had went back to her hair being brown. She also travels with two gas cans. I just want to say, 
of all the she... road trips that I have taken, I don't travel with gas cans because, like, one, it stinks in my car. Sure does. The other thing is I'm terrified. What if a car hits me? And, right. So she travels with two gas cans. So this really was, one, to disguise herself. That's why she dyed her hair. And then also so that she does not have to stop and be seen anywhere buying gas in the state of Arizona. She can stick to her story that she's going from California to Utah and never goes to see Travis. Interesting. So at some point during the visit with Travis, they have rendezvous, right? They have sex. They take all these pictures. They're in the in the shower. She either shoots him in the head first or stabs him and then shoots him. I think you and I talked about it earlier. Reddit definitely agrees. For there's a definitely a size difference between Travis and Jody. a considerable. Yeah, one. he's easily got 60 70 pounds on her yeah and so it would just common sense would tell you she used a gun first it didn't take him down and then she immediately started to stab him i agree she went for that it was a a pretty horrible crime scene and then of course she leaves she throws the camera in the wash and four days later is when travis is found some of these details of course those are the things that jody really only knows but she then leaves for utah Jody's defense was that Travis was abusive and even made claims about him being a pedophile. Of course, his friends, his family, his loved ones, they're completely enraged. This woman is pissing me off. It's horrible. There's, And I just want to say, like, there was no evidence of pornography that was found anywhere or any proof that this, anything of this was true. Oh, no, no. She just throwing things yeah. at the wall to see if one of them's going to stick. Like, will any of it get me a lighter sentence at this point? Yeah, and there was some pretty intense conversations between them. And when I say, like, intense, I don't necessarily mean angry because there were some angry conversations between them. There are a couple, of course. But these conversations were things like him calling her three-hole glory. And so, but Jody was in the response. I was, was like, say, were they just talking dirty? Yes, like, that's they fine. absolutely were. She's like, oh, I like cool. that. She was totally fine with some of the demeaning language that they used as part of their sexting back and forth, really. Like, and so you can tell that would someone else in an outside taken out of context or taken out of that situation, would someone call, you know, that say that to me well no i probably wouldn't appreciate that but i also could maybe be called that in like a funny conversation and be fine with it context is really important when you're looking at those conversations which is part of what the prosecution went back and said was like jody you're responding that you're completely into it that you like it and it's and it's not under duress the very content of the the photographs that we can see like would would tell you that it that it isn't like that this was clearly a consensual sexual experience both of them were in very vulnerable positions during the photos they both were clearly in it they were posing they were having fun this was a consensual encounter you're telling me that you had a fun flirtatious photo shoot naked with the man that abuses you yeah so she's confused she says that that situation happened that They were in the shower, or he was in the shower. She was taking pictures of him. She drops his expensive camera. He becomes enraged. She runs to the closet and gets this gun. Also, might I add, it's the same caliber gun that is missing from her grandparents' house. This is his, I promise. Yeah, and his friends are like, he didn't have a gun. And he he wasn't a registered gun owner either. 
So, but she says that the gun came from his house. Also, like, where'd you get the knife from? You didn't find the knife in the bathroom because I know that's not where I keep my knives. I'm sure it's not where you keep your knives. If I supposedly love you, I am not going to go around telling people that you're a pedophile, that you illegally obtained a firearm, that you abuse me. Like, the, these, it's just not, I don't understand. I think like, about Lorena Bobbitt, right? Lorena Bobbitt was being abused, had this horrific abuse happen to her. She went to the kitchen in shock, came, did what she after did. After months of, like, being raped, after having her citizenship, like, threatened all of this awful, awful tomfuckery for a while. But she was going to the police department. Yes. She was going to tell them about what had That's happened. Right about the abuse that had happened. And so like there was there was no three stories. There was no, you know, it making them different. Yeah. She was going in about it. Obviously that's not what Jody did. Yeah. So Jody is testifying. Of course she needs to take the stand because of so many different scenarios. So she does take the stand. It lasts for 18 days, which is just incredibly long to be on the stand for. I don't Wait, even just her just her 18 days. So Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, neither of them were on. I would have, I honestly, I probably would have thrown my TV out of it, out. I mean, we did, we did uh, Gwyneth Paltrow a couple weeks ago. That entire trial was two weeks. Yeah. Just Jody, 18 days. Oh my God. Just talking and talking and talking. Um, and you, This girl is crazy. She is real. Oh she really God. is nuts. This is some gone girl level of, oh my God. Okay. So um, in the beginning, she really did play ball. Again, like she's thought about this for four years. She knew she's not completely dumb. So she does know how to manipulate people. She knows how to talk. She knows how to argue. So and she's the, had nothing else to focus on. Yeah. So in the beginning, she really is playing ball with the prosecutor. But after time, the prosecutor, of course, they're smarter than yeah. her. So they eventually get her wrapped around. And she doesn't have truth on her side. So it's going to be very easy to like walk her into a corner. And that's exactly what they would do. So jury would deliberate for only four days and they would come back and convict Jody Arias for first degree murder. We move into the sentencing phase of her trial. The jury would need to decide on the death penalty. His family gets the opportunity to talk and they do. The family gets to have their impact statement and they talk about just how horrible this has been on their grandmother and how horrible it's been for them and how horrible it was to hear his good be tore apart in the pursuit of justice. And I mean, just felt vindictive by the end. Yeah. It's so gross. And they've waited four years for this too. Yeah. So I'm sure there, that's four years of worry. Was she going to get out? Would she never see any time for this? Right. Jody is allowed to say something on her behalf and it's not under oath, so she's not sworn in. And so she gets up there and she's, you know, going on and on about nothing. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, I have these shirts. And it's like, you know, heat ironed on. It says survivor. And she's like, you know, we're going to be selling this. And some of the proceeds are going to go to like domestic violence. And his family is like, her, his sister's rolling her eyes and just cannot believe the bullshittery of Jody in this moment. But the other thing is like the this nerve. is to the I mean, jury. This girl's, 
This is to the jury who's about to decide whether or not you're going to get the death penalty. These are some cannonball size comments yes. on this girl. Like, she's got no fucks to give. She, what the hell? I just, I can't, I can't imagine. This is like court TV, too. Oh. So I probably, well, I guess 2012 I wasn't. But I'm like, man, I, why wasn't I watching this? Can you imagine this? watching this slide? No. This I'm so jealous of whoever was watching this live because... This would have been better than daytime. This would have been better than anything that Days of Our Lives or General Hospital could have had to offer. It's so it's so horrible that it's almost laughable, honestly. So the first jury, they go and deliberate and they are hung. They cannot decide that it whether or not she's gonna get the death penalty. So really what that means, some people think that she should have the death penalty. Some people think that she shouldn't have the death penalty, and they are not unanimous on it. I want to understand the perspective of the people that were like, nah. This woman at this point has not only murdered this person in cold blood. Right. From the way it was done, like the scenario that we played out, you still had the opportunity to possibly save him after the first shot or the first stab, whichever came first. But you didn't. You kept going. And in fact, you alternated weapons. And then you proceeded to drag his name through the mud. This is a person that is not well. Like, I think there is some psychosis. Like, this girl needs to be somewhere behind bars. We are not safe with her. No, I would bet, honestly, I would bet that it's people who just don't believe in the death penalty. And so, like, Arizona is a weird... Like, she's in Arizona. They are a very independent state. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's probably a little bit of both because not only does one jury come back hung, only, not about the guilty verdict, but about death penalty, but they do it again with a whole new jury and the jury comes back and they cannot decide on death penalty. See, and you know, like, even as you're saying that and I think about it, I don't know that I could do it in those shapes. Like, could I put you away for life? Yep. Could I kill you? Yeah, I, I I'll be honest, I don't disagree with you, especially given how many times the death penalty has been used against people who are probably innocent. That's right, wrongful um, convictions. Wrongful convic- convictions. And so in so in the state of Arizona, there is a law. You only get two chances to try for the death penalty. They can't keep oh, doing this. Wow. So once So they use both up. Yep. So once that second jury came back and said, Hey, it doesn't it's not a it doesn't like the case is not mistrialed, but the judge gets to decide life in prison at that point and they take the death penalty off now the judge parole yeah so the judge could have decided to give her parole but decided to not so she is serving a life without the opportunity of parole sentence she's still there in arizona um i mean she's weird she still shows up every once in a while so she does these drawings and she sends them to people and and tries to sell i just saw recently an article where travis's family one of the artwork that she does is looks very similar to his sister who was sitting on the front row of course during his trial and so this woman that she keeps painting over and over is very similar and travis's family is like look like just leave us alone. Yeah. And I would say that's what you should do, Jody. Leave this family alone. Go find a life that you have now in prison. Do what you need to do, but leave Travis's family alone. And Travis's family, they really do try really hard to not think about her. They miss their brother. They think about the life that he would have had if not for Jody. But 
they they want to just move past and and heal. It's like just like any family would. Her appeal is still left out there, but nothing looks like it's working. And I don't think there'll be a day ever that Jody sees outside of a prison wall. Especially because this one does seem so cut and dry. Yeah. Like we talked about with the Murdoch case, when you have something that timestamps as part of its technology, and so we are sure of that information, it's your undoing. It's not going to get undone because the right thing happened. Right. And I, there is a part of me that is glad she didn't get the death penalty. Like, I've just been sitting here stewing on that for a few minutes. I don't know how I feel about that. And thank God, like, that, that it's really disturbing when you think about this. Like, how far, even after it was done, you've been caught red-handed mm-hmm. and your inability to admit your guilt and to take accountability for what you've done, that's really just terrifying no a hundred percent so it is a very like sordid it's obsessive yes and it's like it's It's gone girl i'm telling you yeah this this is the stuff of novels it's so messed up it really is and that's why i said like so much of it too because she's such this like weird character in this story where this young man lost his life at 32 years old he didn't even really hadn't had an opportunity to really live it And then here she overtakes everything. Travis Alexander had a whole life outside of Jodi Aries. So I'm glad we got to talk a little bit about it. But honestly, like she is batshit crazy. The whole thing around Travis kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Robert Wan situation where there is just this desire of like, please let this really small like little piece of the end of their life be what we always remember them for it is interesting hearing about jody but i know for me like i appreciate the sentiment of leaving it like it sounds like travis was doing his best to build a good life and that he was taken advantage of from everything we heard from his friends and his family he was a stand-up guy and it's always sad when good people get taken from us too soon unnecessarily so i just i hate that Jody, you're where you belong, girl. Absolutely. So that's our story for this week. Oh, so well told. That was a good one. I enjoyed that one. I yeah. mean, I didn't enjoy it. But I know. I no, I know. <laughs> so guys, I am very curious. What do you think about Jody Arias? Was there a piece of her trial or something she said yeah. that stuck out to you that we didn't talk about? Um, because there are mi- – I we could go on, honestly, for like three hours about that trial and the 18 days that she spent on. And I just don't have the energy to talk about that insanity. But please tell us about it. As always, you can hit us up on our socials. You follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NosyBees. And you can, of course, old school email us if you want to do that at nosybeesforlife at gmail.com. That's N-O-S-E-Y-B-E-E-S, the number four, L-I-F-E at gmail.com. But until next time. Hey, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And... I know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback, but at the end of the day, it's also important that we remember to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy, bitches. bitches.